it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. Two to Dixon in studio. If you're watching Fox Nation, the former Michigan GOP gubernatorial candidate. We had a very uh, huge podcast. You see her all over the channel. And we have a lot to discuss today at 1 o'clock. There's going to be a major hearing with these whistleblowers. And we're going to find out about, I guess, the target letter. Is it going to result with the president being forced to go uh, to Washington and uh, report for in, front the, in front of the grand jury and possibly be indicted? Here we go again. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The press has deemed Jason Aldean's song dangerous irresponsible, and of course, racist. Aldine was forced to defend the song, but Aldine's explanation didn't matter. Country Music Television, CMT, announced it was pulling the music video from the airwaves. They canceled it. Yep, Jason Aldine canceled. Yeah, right. They'll try and they'll fail because the song that he wrote about was Small Town Law and Order using news footage, and they say he's being racist and sexist and everything else. Uh, He will stand up to this. And you will not cancel the country music superstar. In fact, he is number one on iTunes. Number two. We're going to have a very special hearing. You are going to see for the first time not the one IRS whistleblower, but both. These are individuals who have worked in here, not from a political basis, but are so upset about this system of justice not being equal for others. Yep, Hunter Biden's corruption is all around. As another whistleblower comes forward, this time he's a self-declared Democrat. IRS corroborates the Gary Shapley story. He's an investigator, too. Next uh, next week, we'll see Biden business partner Devin Archer. Is it all coming together for the Republicans? Number one. The only way he can get elected is to weaponize the Justice Department, which he's gone around doing. I didn't know practically what a subpoena was and grand juries and all of this. <laughs> now I'm like becoming an expert. I have no choice because we have to. It's a disgrace. Trump trouble multiplies as yet another indictment uh, looms, this time around January 6th. What does it mean for him? Well, if it's like the other two, probably a boom in his polls and in his dollars. With me right now is Tudor Dixon. Great to see you, Tudor. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Your reaction to the president coming out going, yeah, I got a target letter Sunday. I mean, it's almost like, is it a day that ends in Uh, Y if we're not hearing about a Trump indictment? Uh, January 6th investigation, we had the hearings, we had the impeachment. That was not enough. Jack Smith, one indictment on Mar-a-Lago papers, that was not enough. What does this do for the race, do you think, as a Republican? It's interesting because I actually think that you are dividing Republicans more. I was I was telling you I was last night at a fundraiser just south of Detroit and Republicans were like, oh, you know, I'm upset about this. And then you've got some of the newer Republicans that are like pro-Trump. But the independents I think are going more over to Trump right now because they're saying, wait a minute, we can't accept a Joe Biden 
situation again. We can't accept that we have a president right now who's going after his political opponent. There's no question about it. I mean, this didn't happen to Maxine Waters when she said, go to the restaurants, go to the gas pumps, take, you know, push around Republicans. This kind of stuff did not happen to Democrats, but they're going after Trump constantly. They are. And uh, the one thing that Joe Biden evidently has told everybody, don't bring it up. I don't want it to seem like I am pulling the strings with the attorney general. I want to make it seem like I'm totally independent. But the president, President Trump's like, no, no, no. This is because I'm his biggest threat. Well, and it seems as though these whistleblowers are saying that this is suspicious, too, that this is coming from a a higher power. It seems as though there are other people corroborating that Joe Biden is involved or there has been someone who's come down and said, don't let this stuff happen to Hunter, but go after Trump. So there's some sort of corruption there. And I think Trump is right. This is absolutely what's happening. So also so you have these federal judge yesterday also have a hearing in Florida about when the president's trial will take place for his classified documents. And his attorney said, hey, listen, I'm not ready for this. They haven't even given me all the documents they said that President Trump took. I don't have uh, I don't have um, a classification yet to look at it myself. I don't have top secret clearance. So it's going to wait. So Eileen Cannon says, yeah, I'll delay it, but not till after 2024. The president wants it after the election. Well, they want to have it go on throughout the election. Let's face it. They, they want, Democrats. Yes, of course. Yes. So they want to make sure that. But I, I would I would agree that if I were Trump, I would want it after, too, because he he's hoping to be president. Right. And then he can just dismiss it. Um, but also, I think that we're going to he also knows he's a showman. He knows that as long as this is out there, it's going to be the topic of conversation. And it was yesterday. Look, we've got an interview with DeSantis on CNN and they're talking about Trump. You've got Tim Scott dropping information about a big media buy. You've, he's talking about Trump. A couple of things. DeSantis is doing an interview on CNN at the same time that Donald Trump says, I've been I've gotten a targeting letter. You think he timed that? I, I like I said, it's not a day that ends in why if we're not talking about a Trump indictment. I think it just happened that way. I really do. He, so uh, every candidate now has to respond to their stand on Trump's looming indictment. For example, Ron DeSantis, cut six. So here's the problem. Uh, this country is going down the road of criminalizing political differences. And I think that's wrong. Alvin Bragg stretched a statute in, in Manhattan to be able to try to target Donald Trump. Most people, even people on the left, acknowledge if that wasn't Trump, that case would not have likely been brought against a normal civilian. I don't think it serves us good to have a presidential election focused on what happened four years ago uh, in January. And so I want to focus on looking forward. I don't want to look back. I, I do not want to see him. I hope he doesn't get charged. I don't think it'll be good for the country. So you're running against someone. It used to be easy. This is, yeah, getting indicted, it's bad news for him. That's why you should vote for me. Not so easy. It's a danger, no matter how you feel, about of, of piling on Donald Trump. It, it, but if you are a candidate, you have to understand that right now you have to respond to this because the next person is potentially Support you. or detract. I think you have to support because, like I said, the next time is potentially you. I mean, you have Gavin Newsom already coming out and calling for the arrest of Ron DeSantis. Good point. And so Ron DeSantis knows, hey, the next guy on the chopping block could potentially be me. So I can't come out and say, yeah, Donald Trump is a bad guy. You've got it. We've got to go forward with these indictments. He has to say this has to stop because the next guy could be him. It could be Tim Scott. It could be any of us. So what's interesting is yesterday it was kind of fortuitous for me to have you here. Uh, there were indictments handing out. It wasn't just Trump. Michigan AG has charged 16 
false electors for Donald Trump. Uh, they were going to come out for Donald Trump in 2020 after the electors were given. The state was won by Joe Biden. The 16 false electors, this is the charge, were put out there to vote for and represent Donald Trump at the Electoral College. What's, your rea- what's the reaction been in, in Michigan? I mean, the reaction has been mixed, but I think most of the Republicans are saying, first of all, the timing is very interesting because we've been told about this since I announced my run for governor in 21. We had the attorney general saying something's going to happen with these elect these fake electors. We're going to go after them. And she waited and she waited and she waited until yesterday to announce this. And now this allows in Michigan them to run against this. They will keep this going and make sure that he can't win Michigan because this is the messaging they're, they're going to use. It's very strategic. Whether or not this is something that they can legally go after these people for, it will be a story for the next nine months, and they will go after Donald Trump every step of the way. So Michigan is going to be Michigan Republicans against Michigan Republicans. So you say there could be somewhat of a civil war there. Some people thought – Whatever you do, do not become a elector outside the electors that have been mentioned and others are for Trump uh, through and through. I think there's a faction of people that feel like there was a new group of folks that came into the Republican Party. One of these people was the co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party. Another is a vice chair of the Michigan Republican Party. The Michigan Republican Party in Michigan has had troubles in the last few months. And so people are looking at this and going, some of these people that came in who had not historically been heavily involved in the party have done things that they feel are different and a little bit more radical than the Republican Party has been in the past. So you've got the people that used to be in charge of the party. They feel a little betrayed. The new people feel like they're entitled to do these things. That's splitting that Republican base. And that's why I say I think Trump has the support of these unusual voters that used to be Obama voters, and they come out for him. But rallying the base together is going to be important. Tudor Dixon here. Tudor, uh, how much do Democrats outnumber Republicans in Michigan, roughly? Well, Gretchen Whitmer ended up with almost 500,000 more votes. The question is, how is that happening? And I believe that we are just not getting those people out. Donald Trump gets a lot more people out, whether they are Republicans or not. It'll it'll absolutely it'll help everybody on the ballot, but we have to make sure we're messaging correctly. And I would argue that we don't have the the organizations on the ground that the Democrats have getting the message out. That's going to be our fight in Michigan, but I think we can win it. All right, when we come back, uh, the whistleblower that's going to be coming forward today at 1 o'clock Eastern time and talk about the invest the, the investigation that with Hunter Biden and how limited it was and how unfair the verdict is. 13 years, impeccable record, and a Democrat. Back so what Gary Shapley told Brett Baer last week. Big show, don't move, Brian Kilmey. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. One of the things that's going to come out today is the fact that in the FBI, in the IRS's investigation, excuse me, the, the amount of money, the number of countries, the number of companies actually eerily matches what the Oversight Committee has been able to uncover over the last several months. So this is key for the American people. If the investigative committee, that is the A-team, that does this with respect to international uh, tax evasion and tax, and tax, uh, tax uh, evasion, if they're coming out with the same numbers that the Oversight Committee is coming out with, uh, then we know we have the facts. And Joe Biden, Hunter Biden have been lying to the American people for years over this stuff. And I stress years. That's going to be a big one. So that was Byron Donalds, one of the people asking questions on the Republican side today and the House as the two whistleblowers come forward. Tudor Dixon here, my guest. Tudor, it's going to be very interesting because uh, they went all over Matt Taibbi when he came out with the Twitter files, went all over Michael Schellenberger. They questioned his integrity. Really? Because Elon Musk asked him to report what was there, and they're going after this guy that used to write for the Rolling Stone, and now they're going to go after this new whistleblower along with Shapley. This new whistleblower, we know this, Democrat. Gay, married to a man. So there never was a whistleblower before. What do you expect? How strongly does this guy have to feel about this to come out, though? Think about that. Absolutely. I mean, that is meaningful in and of itself. A guy who's got nearly two decades in the in his position. He's a well-respected agent. This is not somebody who's been misbehaving or suspicious. As you said, he's a Democrat and he's coming out and he's saying this stuff is suspicious. But the real question here is why, what will Democrats do when they find out that there is potential corruption with foreign countries that are adversaries of ours? When you talk about China, when you talk about Russia, when you talk about even Ukraine, what's happening in Ukraine, the American people hear this and they say, well, wait a minute, we're giving millions or billions, I mean, to Ukraine right now. And potentially Hunter Biden had some sort of relationship with them. And the president. Yes. I mean, obviously. Uh, So one of the things whistleblower X, the new one, is going to say is that Hunter Biden should have been charged with a tax felony and not only uh, not only that, the tax misdemeanor charge and the communication and text message reviewed by the investigators may be a contradiction to what President Biden was saying about not being involved in Hunter's overseas business dealings. And here's what he's referring to. This uh, Chinese per- this Chinese executive, energy executive, uh, last name uh, starts with an X. He greeted and he said, make sure you say hello uh, to Jim and the vice president. Well, if you know nothing about his overseas business operations, why is the Chinese executive saying hello to you? Obviously, this is proof that he did. And the scary thing about this is this is after coming. We're finding this out after coming off of a pandemic. And everybody has said, why hasn't the president said to China, what are you going to do to make up for the fact that you killed all of these people across the globe, that you made this massive maybe mistake? Or is this a weapon? What exactly? Yes. What exactly happened? He's not doing anything. He is going over there and, and, you know, remember, Secretary of State Antony Blinken goes over there and waits and waits and waits. We look powerless. And then President Xi says, OK, OK, Secretary of State, you can in the, don't leave yet. I'll see you for a few minutes. We look powerless in the face of China. And this makes us say, has he been dealing with China since he was vice president and taking millions and compromising the United States of America? So Jamie Raskin will have the other point of view. Now, what are you going to do? Blow up the whistleblower or say this? They will, I'm sure, he says, 
Describe for us the disagreement and frustrations with the supervisors, as well as with the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney, Mr. David Weiss, and the team of prosecutors. Disagreements which began in 2020 when President Trump's own appointees ran both the IRS and the Department of Justice. We will hear about the apparent confusion and misunderstanding which embittered them towards Mr. Weiss as he reviewed evidence and then made the ultimate decision about how and when to charge Hunter Biden. So they're going to make it. An investigator always thinks they have a great case, but the supervisor is the one that has to do the charging. It's their reputation. That's what's going to be his approach today. Well, at the end of the day, we are already hearing from whistleblowers saying this was a felony. There was a plea deal made. The ability to dig deeper into this kind of ends once you have a plea deal and they say, "Okay, we can wash our hands of this and let this go past us. The American people are not going to let this end. It's unfortunate for them that this happens to be in the middle of a presidential election, and we're not going to let it go this time. The last time he came out and he said, I had no idea what was going on with my son's business dealings. The the evidence is right there that the the vice president knew. And, Tudor, on top of that, I think that people are going to be looking at this and see that it's going to be tough to contradict this. But they keep coming back to David Weiss was appointed by Trump. They come back to Christopher Ray as appointed by Trump. How long do you think Democrats can effectively make that argument? Well, I think that is actually an argument that Republican candidates may jump on because they might be the ones that come out and say, yeah, I'm going to have different people in there. Vote for me. I think that's going to be an interesting Well, as we watch this election play out, it'll be interesting to see how people react on both sides. At the end of the day, I think that Donald Trump ran on the fact that there's a swamp He is an outsider. He's come in and he's had to bring in new people, get rid of other people. He's not afraid to do that. But but that's what that's how Washington works. And we're going to see candidates on both sides running for and against that. Here's what Governor DeSantis said about this, about Hunter Cut 19. I do know that we look at institutions, unfortunately, like our own FBI and Department of Justice, and we've seen the politicization of those institutions. Uh, We've seen them be be weaponized against Americans. Uh, Pro-life activists can have the SWAT team come at them. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden, he would have been in jail if he were a Republican, and we all know that. So, So that's, I think, been a frustration to see Uh, how that is wielded. So I can't speak about that because I haven't seen it, but I can tell you one of my uh, jobs as president will be to end the weaponization of these agencies, and I will get that job done. That was a question at a town hall in South Carolina yesterday. See, that's the problem, and that's that's going to be the focus. And that'll, like we talked about earlier, that'll be what they'll do to these candidates. They'll push and say, "What are you going to do about this?" And instead of saying what they're for, they're going to be forced to say what they're against. And that's where Republicans are losing. If we don't start coming out for what we're for, be less angry, be less filled with rage. Come out and say, "This is what I'm going to do for you. I want to serve you. This is how I'm going to make the country better. This is what the country can do to to make your life better, to give you childcare, to make sure that you have." the job that you need. What other shows can we see you on today? I'll be on Outnumbered. Make sure you check it out. All right. In a few hours, uh, Tudor Dixon, you didn't, as great as you were, I can tell you didn't peak here yet. So the best (laughs) is yet to come. Uh, When we come back, Rich Lowry will break down the rest of the uh, GOP field and talk about DeSantis actually picking up in New Hampshire. Hornemum.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I got the letter on Sunday night. Think of it. I don't think they've ever sent a letter on Sunday night. And they're in a rush because they want to interfere. It's never been done like this in the history of our country, and it's a disgrace. What's happening to our country, whether it's the borders or the elections or kinds of things like this, where the DOJ has become a weapon for the Democrats, an absolute weapon. And it seems that every time my polls, you know, we're leading by a lot. And we're leading by a lot in a place called Iowa, a lot. Not only with the Republicans, but we're leading against Biden by a tremendous amount. They haven't seen anything like it. And they feel, I guess, they want to try and demean and diminish and and uh, frighten people. But they don't frighten us because uh, we're going to make America great again. And that was uh, Donald Trump at a town hall with Sean Hannity last night, talking about a target letter that he said he got on Sunday. Almost every time he says he's targeted, he's going to be arrested, he puts something out there, it ends up being 100% correct. So I don't doubt him here. And who would say this bad news? Well, I think it's bad news, but maybe Rich Lowry doesn't. Rich Lowry is the editor of National Review. You see all his columns. He's an impact player. Rich, your, your, um, I guess your take on the president's take on his looming indictment. Well, it's uh, the interpretation most Republicans will believe. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing how there are any crimes committed by President Trump on January 6th that don't require squinting and stretching the law, which you, you shouldn't do. Irreprehensible things are not necessarily illegal. So I don't know how much more uh, juice there is to squeeze out a lemon in terms of the, these indictments helping him. But it's, it's not going to hurt him if anyone thinks he's going to curl up in a ball and go away. Obviously, that's not going to happen. He eats this sort of stuff uh, for lunch, and I don't see how he's tried any of this stuff before the the uh, general election if he's a nominee. So uh, I think it'll be ha- hanging out there, um, and it'll be part of the argument he makes for for why he needs to come back and uh, avenge avenge his adversaries. I know you're not a lawyer, but. I, I do think that he'll be charged in Washington, D.C., and if that happens, what, who thinks that he's going to get a fair trial in Washington, D.C.? Uh, n- well, uh, probably not very many people. <laughs> I wouldn't think he'd get be, a fair trial in, yeah. in Washington, D.C., or that'd be very, very hard. Um, but th- this stuff, you know, even, even if he's convicted, will be appealed and take a very a very long time to to work out. It's just a very bad practice, you know. There's a, a high bar for an ind- indicting a former president. We haven't done it before. The uh, the, the party of, of the former president is, of course, going to believe the worst. It'll be exactly the same way if, you know, uh, Barack Obama were being indicted by a Republican Justice Department now. So this this we never should have gone down this, this road. I, I just don't see a Republican. I never even thought there was a thirst to try people when they were out of office. But I guess because he's coming back. My sense is he'd still be going after him, whether he's running or not, whether he's third or fourth. I laugh, and maybe you you thought you don't, that Democrats are trying to make him more powerful. That's why they're indicting him. Excuse me. If I asked a Democrat a year ago, would three indictments make President Trump stronger or weaker, every one of them would say would destroy him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, no doubt, and you know it's it's overdetermined. I think, like in the documents thing, they actually do have them nailed on the, the law. It's just the selective prosecution that's the issue 
there, but they they enjoy the whole uh, rigmarole of, of him having to show up wherever he's going to be arraigned, and the CNN panels can gush about how you know uh, psychologically wounded he is and stressed by the whole thing and humiliating is it is. So they love that. I think there there are some of them who are smart enough to realize this now that this this helps them in the primary, and they think he's the weakest candidate to run against in a general. Uh, Do you that think that, Rich? Mixed up. Do I think they that's Do you part think of the he is the weakest one of the weakest uh, Republicans to run against Biden? I think he's the riskiest of the major candidates. I think even though DeSantis had a terrible period, I think he'd be a better candidate against Biden. I think Tim Scott would beat Biden pretty easily. I think Trump can beat Biden. I think it's like a 50-50 proposition, but I think it's riskier and and harder. Um I think that the best sales tool for Donald Trump is Joe Biden. And you just watch what he does and you see the energy that Trump has and you see where the country is on various issues, whether it's the border or when I look at uh, when I look at what's going on overseas, when I look at what goes on in the Middle East, when you see this controversy with Israel, you see him napping yesterday while he was yeah. talking to the president of Israel. I yeah, mean, when really you see, when you that see that, compare really that to two thousand people uh, jammed into an arena in Iowa yesterday. Yeah, I think Trump's strongest argument was uh, when I was president. Certainly before the pandemic, things were good. It was peace and prosperity, and I can do that again. And things now are terrible. You know, as we've talked about in the past, I think a lot of the other stuff. Trump says is a distraction or counterproductive, but that that should be the core of his argument. He d- and he does make it a lot, and um, that's why I think he'd have a that with uh, coupled with with Biden's frailty. I think is is why he'd have uh, uh, he'd have have certainly have a chance of winning. So let's look at New Hampshire now. Uh, DeSantis uh, DeSantis takes on uh, Trump in New Hampshire and actually moved up slightly, thirty seven twenty three instead of forty one twenty one. Uh, he is focusing a lot there. He was in South Carolina yesterday. Uh, in Iowa, Trump has a lead, even though we put down the governor, a very popular governor of Iowa, and over 70 percent were against the attack that the president had, not because she endorsed DeSantis, it's because she's staying neutral. So it doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. Do you think, you think the DeSantis people are positive about that? Because you also point out another poll in which DeSantis is tied with Vivek Ramaswamy in New Hampshire. What do you think's real? I don't know. The, the, the poll yesterday is the most encouraging result we've seen anywhere for DeSantis in a long time. So either either that poll that has him at 23 is wrong or the poll the other day that had him at 11 is wrong. Right? <laughs> they can't both be right. But I, I think you know Iowa is Trump's vulnerability. I think the potential he could blow it there. I think you know there, there are a bunch of things he'd done that just, just um, seem, seem high, high-handed and unnecessary, and attacking Kim Reynolds is one of them. So the play, obviously, you, you hope if you're DeSantis, or someone else, you beat him in Iowa, and then it shakes something loose elsewhere. But New Hampshire is a pretty strong Trump state. Nevada, I mean, there's no way anyone's beating Trump in Nevada. And South Carolina would be tough, too. So you got three of the four that um, seem pretty natural matches for Trump. And if you win three of the four, it's, it's hard to see how you how you take him down. So you got to hope you know you, you do Iowa, and then somehow New Hampshire or South Carolina happens for you. But there, there's no doubt Trump is, is the prohibitive favor in this race. Uh, I want you to hear what Tim Scott, who's got it, the second most money on the Republican side, said, as usual, all questions about Trump. Cut eight. You know, one of the 
reasons why we need to fire Joe Biden and Merrick Garland is because we too often see the weaponization of the Department of Justice against political enemies, but it doesn't stop there. It also includes parents who show up at school board meetings. They're labeled domestic terrorists. We see folks who are pro-life activists, SWAT teams coming to their homes, guns drawn. What we know we need is a change in this administration. I'm looking forward to be the president of the United States so that we can actually restore confidence and integrity to the Department of Justice. So again, it had to be it had to be about it starts with Trump and then he's got to segue to his agenda. Now word is that Glenn Youngkin's poised to get in. What do you hear, Rich? You know, uh, I, I've I've heard he's interested in it. I, I don't see it's hard for me to see how that's going to work. And you know, if DeSantis is flaming out, uh, which I, I'm not sure is is true, um, it still is does that create space for Yunkin necessarily? I, I'm just not sure, and it would be kind of a late entry. There are indications, you know, Scott continues to creep up. There is an internal poll in Iowa that the DeSantis operation did that had him at 11. Someone was telling me about a South Carolina poll that had him at 11, so he's creeping into to double digits. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it would discount him. But the problem is, you know, he's he's uh, he's completely cheerful all the time. And is that really the mood of the the party? <laughs> can you believe you just said that? Can you, can you yeah. believe you just said that? I mean, yeah. he's so upbeat and positive about the country. I don't think he's got a. I don't think he's yeah, got exactly. a shot. Really. <laughs> Not that guy. Not the cheerful guy. Yeah, I don't want that guy that can lift me up. So something today is going to happen at one o'clock, not to lift up the president, but you have a third, a second whistleblower with the IRS investigation coming forward. A Democrat who has never been a whistleblower before essentially corroborates almost everything Gary Shapley said as an IRS investigator uh, two weeks ago with Brett Baer. And then they're going to talk about a, a relationship with the president getting salutations from the two hunter uh, that included the president and Jim Biden. So the whole goal is not to destroy Hunter. He destroys himself. He's too good at that. But to see what the president was doing when he was vice president and beyond. Do you think we get closer to that? I want you to hear James Comer yesterday. Cut 14. This is more evidence that the federal government has covered up the Biden crimes. I mean, we're going to hear firsthand tomorrow about the level of criminality involved in many of these bank transactions that the Biden family received from foreign nationals. But the the hard part for us has always been the fact that at every step of of our journey towards providing the American people with the truth about what the Bidens have done, we've been met with obstacles from within our government. And what was encouraging when the whistleblowers came forward a few weeks ago and, and provided the testimony to the Ways and Means Committee was the fact that we finally realized there were people in the federal government that, that knew about the crimes the Bidens were committed, but yet they were told to stand down. So then these two are not. And now yeah. Senator Grassley's coming forward to make sure there's whistleblowers protection so you don't end up with uh, the next whistleblower being Edward Snowden, who destroys the country, uh, provides secrets, and then goes to Russia because he can't be protected. This backs up Edward Snowden's decision, some of the things that have happened to whistleblowers, and especially the FBI guys. So what do you expect today? 
Well, I think that this investigation has produced uh, a lot of fruit. You know, the, the these whistleblowers, the uh, just, just revealing the structure of how this business worked. You'd have these LLCs with anodyne names taking massive payments from foreign actors and then just just sprinkling them, um, spreading out all the the money to various family members, even family members who weren't even doing any supposed work related to this stuff. But apparently a corrupt setup. So the the you need the smoking guns though. The smoking gun is you know did it did some of it go directly into Joe Biden's account, um, which would be one smoking gun, and then the thermonuclear smoking gun would be Joe Biden did something um, for, for for Hunter, for Jim, or, or for one of these clients related to the business, and that that would be the t- torpedo to the bow to to mix metaphors. Mm-hmm. Horribly, and I, I wouldn't discount. You know that could happen. I mean, these are the risks of, of Biden. One, some terrible health event or, or fall, which can't be predicted and could happen at any moment. Two, Republicans find something that everyone agrees is uh, disqualifying, uh, and three, a recession. And all, all those are possible. Before I let you go, Joe Biden in the uh, Oval Office with the President of Israel, with on his lap notes, notes yeah. for the President of Israel. Listen to this. Cut twenty-one. And we brought Israelis and Palestinians together at a political level, and the Akko and the Paul Shah. And as I uh, affirmed to Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday, America's commitment to Israel is firm. What, what the hell was that? Yeah, I mean, it was falling asleep. You know, and there are times like you're, oh, he's okay. He's at this press conference. He's giving a policy answer. Uh, and there are times like this. You're like, what, what's happening? <laughs> how does this guy possibly be the leader of this this country? And it's whatever it is. I'm not diagnosing anyone from afar. It's not getting better. Whether it's some illness, it's not getting better. Whether it's just aging, it's not getting better. And the idea that they, they're putting all their eggs in the, the, this basket. And assuming it's it's gonna this basket's still gonna be holding by November 2024 is preposterous. Then you put the idea that he's gonna be president of the United States for another four years, you know, starting two years from now, is uh, adds a, a whole whole different layer of absurdity to it. It's bad for the Democrats' political prospects. It's even worse for the country. No question, uh, Rich Lowry, National Review. Thanks so much, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. Talk to you. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back and I'll take some of your calls. Uh, and we have much more to discuss, too. We have not even talked about Jason Aldean being canceled for writing a song about small town and a lack of crime. No joke, Jack. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. This is new video that we have just been getting into CNN special counsels. That's Jack Smith getting lunch at Subway. Spotted on this historic day coming out of a Washington, D.C. subway. Jack Smith going to Subway today is a message to Donald Trump. That was Jack Smith with no words and a simple $5 sub in his hand saying, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, the imagery was, oh. uh, was intentional and spoke volumes. What kind of imagery? I don't get it. What are you talking about? Jack Smith and the legal team going to Subway? I don't know. They, are they saying because the president likes fast food? Jack Smith likes fast food? Did the president say, I don't like Subway at any point? Did he say, I do like Subway? 
I don't get it. I don't get it. I listen to this analysis all day. The symbol is, what are you talking about? And by the way, they just lived off this story. And let's see them try to avoid the whistleblower story today, which they are covering more of the Hunter Biden shenanigans and the outrageous business dealings that he was pulling off. They will stop short at linking Joe unless we continue to see these failings like we saw yesterday uh, with uh, this Israeli president who, by the way, I think Democrats have done themselves great damage. I would think with the American Jewish community, you know, they got a. They have a lot of boycotts of the president's going to be the president Herzog, not uh, the prime minister. The big difference, more of a symbolic office for Israel. But Herzog is going to be addressing a joint session of Congress just in the, the House. And they're going to be missing Bowman, Bush, Carson, Lee, AOC, Omar, Presley, Ramirez, and, of course, Tlaib. They're upset. They're upset that Israel, they say it's a racist state. Really? Racist country. That's interesting. Our greatest ally. And then the Jayapal walked it back, but said the criticism against her is because she's a woman and a minority. Yeah, she went on to say, she's getting a little bolder. She said, um, she claims this double standard is wielded against progressives. She tells the Seattle Times, it's not right to call our progressives, to call out progressives, but then not recognize that most of us get called out are women, black, brown, Immigrants, you cannot just skip over that. Yes, you can. If you treat everyone equal, there are going to be times where minorities are criticized because I am not afraid of being looked at as a sexist racist because I am not. For people that are, they should worry about it. And if all of a sudden you don't get any criticism at you, that is also an insult. And you didn't say this by mistake. You said it on purpose because you actually believe it. Tlaib is Palestinian. So she has no interest in Israel, and her views got her kicked off a committee. I don't know how she gets reelected in Michigan each and every time. And uh, and Omar has gone kind of quiet of these days, but if she gets back to the majority, it could be something totally different. So uh, we'll see where that goes when you uh, talk about the Israeli president today. There'll be a resolution to confirm our support for them. But if you actually want to support Israel, don't worry about the rhetoric. Don't worry about wildcats in your caucus. Do not go into a nuclear agreement with Iran. Every time there are so-called secret talks with Iran in any way, it is an affront to Israel because Iran's focus is wiping out Israel. And the reason why we have Abraham Accords is because of Iran's belligerence, which they are now displaying again in the Strait of Hormuz, where one-fifth of all the world's oil passes through. They're harassing ships, unarmed ships, shipping cargo, oil and gas. Brian Kilman Show. Keep it here. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by one of the hottest actors and the best actors in the country who has got the number one movie in the country, Jim Caviezel. He plays Tim Ballard in The Sound of Freedom. And the great Mike Gallagher, congressman from Wisconsin, said no when asked to run for Senate in Wisconsin. 
He's chairman of the Select Committee on China. We'll talk to him in a moment. So let's get to the big three first. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The press has deemed Jason Aldean's song dangerous, irresponsible, and of course racist. Aldean was forced to defend the song. But Aldean's explanation didn't matter. Country Music Television, CMT, announced it was pulling the music video from the airwaves. They canceled it. Jason Aldean canceled? Really? They'll try, but they will fail because a song about a small town that will not put up with crime in America, that is causing an uproar. I believe he'll be better than great after this. In fact, his song is now number one on iTunes. Number two. We're going to have a very special hearing. You are going to see for the first time not the one IRS whistleblower, but both. These are individuals who have worked in here, not from a political basis, but are so upset about this system of justice not being equal for others. Yep, there you go. Uh, There, Hunter, corruption is all around. Another whistleblower comes forward, this time a self-declared Democrat with uh, the IRS investigator, like Gary Shapley. He evidently is going to corroborate almost everything that Shapley told Brett Baer. Next week, Biden business partner Devin Arch is scheduled to be front and center. Are uh, they beginning to link the business with the IRS? We will see. Number one. The only way he can get elected is to weaponize the Justice Department, which he's gone around doing. I didn't know practically what a subpoena was and grand juries and all of this. Now I'm like becoming an expert. I have no choice because we have to. It's a disgrace. Uh, that is the president yesterday finding out and revealing that he was got a target letter on Sunday night, which means a third indictment is likely. Can you believe it? Some say the Democrats are doing this to make him stronger. I think they're shocked it's making him stronger. What about my next guest, uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher? Congressman, welcome back. Great to be with you. Congressman, after I'm not going to dwell a lot about this because you're not really focused on 2024, nor should you be. But just on this, we're looking at one indictment in New York. The president earned $10 million off that, raised it. The next one, he got $6 million from Jack Smith in the documents. Now they're going after him on January 6th. Does it astound you he's leading and raising money through all of this? If I told you this a year ago, that these indictments would happen and these would be the rankings on the polls, what would you have told me? Well, it sort of makes me wonder, and admittedly this is pure speculation, whether it isn't the concerted strategy of the Democrats to do this in order to solidify Trump's position as the nominee. Who knows? Who knows if they have that level of, you know, that sort of three-dimensional chess going on. Um, but it is remarkable. Um, and I think the concerns that a lot of Americans have about the weaponization of the federal government in general and the Department of Justice and FBI in particular are very well-founded. And I think the basic hypocrisy that people feel is on display here, sort of a, a double standard where you can be persecuted or prosecuted just because you're Republican. I think I think Trump and his supporters are really channeling that frustration. And obviously this goes back to Russiagate, right, which completely upended our politics. I was a new member of Congress in 2017, and we basically wasted the first two years of a unified federal government and a chance to advance a conservative agenda because of all that, because of all the sand that Russiagate put in our gears. So I guess I'm saying I understand the frustration. Um, I worry about how this is going to play out in the 2024 election. And I certainly worry about the continued weaponization of the federal government, which is something that absolutely needs to stop. 
And which is, <laughs> but you guys have a committee for that. So, Congressman, we're, I'm, we're, I'm wondering what you were thinking as our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, went to China, even though it was revealed that his account was hacked in May. We found out about it in June, and we have the, all the other things that they're doing with, between harassing our ships and our, our ships and our planes. And then that's followed by Secretary of Treasury, goes over there, has, understands has some tea with mushrooms in it. That's kind of interesting. And then John Kerry goes over to China. What message are they taking from all this? Do you think China is? Well, I think all Marxist-Leninist regimes view such conciliation as weakness, as an invitation to aggression. And the paradox when dealing with such regimes is that they become more aggressive the more comfortable they feel. And I think this revival of engagement by the Biden administration, economic and diplomatic engagement, what I call zombie engagement, comes with a very significant Cost because we're now learning that the Biden administration is shelving, delaying key defensive action that we need to take, such as putting an end to these export licenses we're providing to Huawei, such as sanctioning key CCP officials complicit in genocide, such as transparency surrounding the spy balloon incident. All of these things have been delayed because of their desire to talk to the Chinese Communist Party in the hope of lowering the temperatures. But this has not only failed when it's been tried before for over 20 years, it is failing in real time right now because as the hacks reveal, as we suspend defensive activities in order to get to the negotiating table with no real prospect of a negotiating agreement or some sort of major breakthrough in mind, the Chinese Communist Party doesn't stop their economic and cyber war against us and our allies. They leverage and exploit our desire to talk for talking state in order to advance their authoritarian agenda. That's what's going on right now. It's very concerning. And a quick note on John Kerry, he's actually their favorite interlocutor. The CCP loves to deal with John Kerry because John Kerry, of course, believes that the biggest threat to the world is not the CCP, but rather climate change. And he believes against all evidence that the Chinese Communist Party cares about climate change and that somehow we can work cooperatively with them when it comes to climate change. So this is very dangerous. This is um, this is is a real setback for what I perceive to be more of a bipartisan hardening of our position on China. And the fact that there is a, a growing faction in the Biden administration that wants to revive engagement is really dangerous for our interests and security in the Indo-Pacific. Congressman Gallagher, it's pretty clear. August 1st, they're going to stop two key metals from being exported to us. We've also limited some exports to them. So that's going to hurt this new push that evidently we financed in the uh, inflation reduction deal for electric cars, which, by the way, everyone's losing money on, including Ford. You you would know this. Uh, Ford is losing money on the lightning now. So and it was billions of dollars. So now we, we're getting stuck with these electric cars and we're not going to have the metals to do it. So it means we're going to have to pay them more to get it or go elsewhere. Well, as a matter, I mean, if you step back and just think about the trillions of dollars we're fixing to spend so that we can have electric vehicles, there's no evidence to suggest when you consider the full life cycle of these vehicles, unless you own them for something like 40 years, that it's better for the environment. In many cases, when you factor in the mining and the slave labor involved in battery production, they're actually worse for the environment and human rights. And oh, by the way, for electric vehicles, 
where does the electricity come from, I wonder? Uh, it's not largely coming from renewables. So the entire environmental premise for this, um, th this massive use of taxpayer dollars, I think, is on shaky ground. And then the Ford case illustrates the further dilemma, which is that Ford is now using Inflation Reduction Act dollars to build a massive battery facility in the United States, but in partnership with a Chinese battery company called CATL, which is already one of the dominant battery companies in the world. So the risk is that this will allow CATL to further solidify its dominant position and thereby give the Chinese Communist Party more coercive economic leverage going forward. And the fact that American taxpayer dollars could be used for this project, I think should raise a lot of concerns because even the Secretary of Energy and others when they were selling the Inflation Reduction Act said that this was meant as a way to wean ourselves off our dependency on China. But I'm very concerned that paradoxically, it's actually gonna increase our dependency on China, which we've seen time and again is a recipe for geopolitical disaster. And just so you know, John Kerry, uh, his climate deal fell short. He failed to convince China to stop building a coal plant a week. Uh, so that's going to continue. He said uh, the two nations have vowed to continue meeting on climate change. It's a small step. It's listed as an effort to restore relations with President Xi. How disturbing is it for you to know that he is rewriting the Bible and putting himself in it for all of China to digest? Well, we had a fascinating roundtable with religious leaders on this very subject from, from many faiths, uh, Catholics, um, other Christian sects, uh, Muslim, etc. And all were united in calling out the war on religion that the CCP is perpetrating. And I think most Americans would be shocked to learn that in the official CCP-approved version of the Bible, they rewrite the story where Jesus defends the adulterous woman and says the famous words, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone and, and dissolves all of the, the crowd that's there. Uh, in the CCP-approved version of that telling, Jesus himself picks up the stone and stones the woman to death. Because, of course, the idea that there could be an authority higher than earthly authority, an authority that transcends government like God, and in America, of course, we are a nation under God, and our rights come from God, is it's inimical to the survival of the Chinese Communist Party, who wants to control everything. And Xi Jinping increasingly is placing himself in the position of God. And I think this explains their war on religion, their war on free speech, and tells us something essential about the nature of the regime we're dealing with. So when we look at China right now, their economy is doing terribly. It has almost no growth. Then we see, uh, we look around and we see that a lot of people are concerned like you are, Mike Gallagher, like Australia, like Japan, like South Korea, like the Philippines. Uh, and the same way where European NATO gave a joint statement basically condemning some of the practices of China. We have an opportunity with the right message and the right plan, does this frustrate you that there's a window here and we don't seem to be fully going? It's not what we're avoiding it. It's not like we're praising them, but we're not fully going, taking advantage of it. It's incredibly frustrating. I do think we have an opportunity to unite the free world uh, in opposition to 
the totalitarian agenda of the Chinese Communist Party and add countries that don't neatly fit into the free world concept to our 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 plan for preserving uh, the free world. I, the the lack of urgency uh, with which the federal government has has tackled this has been distressing. I see it mostly in the military domain where we are you know our navy continues to dwindle. Uh, we aren't rebuilding our stockpiles of key munition systems. We're not getting creative in terms of how we leverage allied capabilities. We have a narrow window of here. We are in the window of maximum danger, and we need to be moving heaven and earth to move hard power the, to the Indo-Pacific to prevent World War III. Because as difficult as deterrence is, as difficult as a Cold War is, it is far preferable to a hot war. And the paradox is you have to wage Cold War with the same intensity and creativity and consistency of purpose that you would wage actual war. And avoiding war is the game here, at least the short-term game. And then winning the competition is the long-term game. But we're not doing it. We, we, we need to be moving faster. And I do think there's an opportunity to bring in our allies and, 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 and put some bipartisan consensus behind at least some of these recommendations. Also, tell me about the UC Berkeley and them possibly working with the Chinese military. You're investigating this? We are. I think, you know, this is a microcosm of something we're seeing throughout uh, higher education, which is our colleges and very distinguished academic institutions view China as a lucrative source of money. Your individual Chinese student is very lucrative relative to American students, and a lot of money comes from China and is given to American universities, and in some cases is not reported. A lot of these or, or institutions are just ignore, ignoring um, the Higher Education Act. So we launched a joint investigation with the Ed and Workforce Committee uh, to examine UC Berkeley's partnership with Tsinghua University, known as TBSI. Uh, TBSI is engaging in research and dual-use technologies that will be used to advance the Chinese military and intelligence capabilities. It's collaborating with uh, Chinese universities that the U.S. government has banned from receiving U.S. sensitive technology. And despite billing this as an academic partnership, in practice, one of TBSI's main functions is to facilitate PRC funding of Berkeley research, all the while reportedly failing to disclose funding from the city of Shenzhen and from Tsinghua itself. And so there's a lot of unanswered questions here, and we need to make sure that our universities aren't providing a, a way for the CCP to steal our best ideas, um, as well as just corrupt the academic process and the research process more broadly, and ultimately fuel their civil military fusion project that's designed to do things like perfect weapon systems that can kill Americans in a future war. So that's why we launched this investigation. Also, I, I think it's important to what we're seeing in Ukraine. Do you, what do you think China, do you have any intelligence, besides a hunch in logic, do you have any intelligence to show you what Chinese, how the Chinese are viewing the war in Ukraine? We don't know. Um, there's, there's sort of an argument that because uh, Russia has underperformed, that perhaps it has caused Xi to pause or, or reconsider the ease with which he could take Taiwan. The other argument is that he is learning from Russian failures and making sure that he does not repeat those failures. Uh, these are obviously different theaters. There's different tactical and operational problems. I think it would be a mistake to speculate one way or the other. 
I think the broader warning signs are there that Xi Jinping is preparing to take Taiwan by force if necessary. This is what he keeps telling us in plain language. And if he's going to experience significant demographic and economic problems in the 2030s, he may become more risk acceptant in the next few years and may conclude that this is his best chance to achieve his lifelong ambition, mm. despite what he's seeing happen in Ukraine right now. One thing is clear, one positive sign, and I'll end with this, is that our, some of our key allies are watching what's happening in Ukraine, and there's some good things happening. I point to Japan, which is rearming right now, increasing their defense uh, spending, gotcha. investing in asymmetric systems. This is a massive positive development. I hear you. Uh, Congressman, thanks for all you're doing. Congressman Mike Gallagher, thank you. Uh, back in a moment with your calls. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. That's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. For homeland security, you know we can't go off rescuing Honduran kids in Colombia. This job tears you to pieces. This is my one chance to put those pieces back together. Yeah, that is a little. That was actually the trailer from Jim Caviezel. Uh, Jim Caviezel's, I couldn't say it's him, but he plays Tim Ballard in the movie. That's number one in the country called Sound of Freedom. Go to angel.com uh, slash Jim to find out more. Uh, and the real Jim Caviezel to follow him. But he'll be joining us live. And I think he's an unbelievable actor. You may remember Passion of Christ. And you remember him in Frequency. Everything he does is great. And this might be his all-time peak. And he's giving us some quality time. Sound of Freedom next. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Tim Ballard has one mission, to track down child traffickers. Four months ago, Colombian authorities asked him to investigate a tip that children were being sold there as sex slaves. Within a half hour, this individual walks up to me, starts asking me what I'm here for, what I want, and within minutes, he says, well, I've got, I've got kids as young as 11 years old. Ballard, a former Homeland Security agent, now heads up Operation Underground Railroad a nonprofit group that rescues trafficked kids. After that first meeting, the Colombians asked him to put together a sting. How they find these kids is they lure them in by pretending to have a modeling agency. They target them at 9 or 10 years old, and they were telling us that about by 11, they're ready for sex. They're ready to be sold. What is that like looking into that kind of person's eyes? It, it, it's horrifying, and this is why. Because I've got a smile in the face of evil. 54 boys and girls aged 11 to 18 were ushered in for what had been billed as a sex party. They were given candy and drinks and told to wait in this small room. This, this little 11-year-old boy, I remember, he asked one of my operatives if they could give him some cocaine or something. That they, he said, they usually give me something because I'm really scared. This is unbelievable. That is Tim Ballard being interviewed for a story in 2014 about child sex trafficking. Because of that story, he ends up writing a book and doing a movie, and the movie is called Sound of Freedom. And it's just taken this country by storm. It's got over a hundred million, uh, a hundred million tickets sold already. People are seeing this all across the country. They're finding a way to get to the theaters. It's outstripping and outselling some major productions. And Jim Caviezel has been on all sides of things. Major productions. He's been on basement operations as being wildly successful, like Frequency. And now he's the star playing Tim Ballard in The Sound of Freedom. 
Jim Caviezel. Welcome back to the show. Uh, how are you, Jim? Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Wonderful. Thank you. I mean, I know. I know. First off, I I want to make this straight. You're not. Uh, we know that the uh, there's a strike going on, and to get this out of the way, there's a SAG strike that prevents actors in the AMPTP productions from promoting any projects. But your new film is not uh, AMPTP uh, projects, so that you you're not crossing any picket lines and coming on today. That's correct. I'm I'm there. Uh, with my brothers and sisters of SAG. Uh, we obviously uh, wanted to be a part of AMPTP, but uh, Disney passed on this one. This was theirs, and uh, so it's um, – we um, – but I'm there and, and on all the AI stuff, and uh, this is a war uh, that, that SAG must win here or we'll be uh, in big trouble. So uh, Tim Bauer tells his true story. And when asked who he wants to play him, he chooses you. What did that feel yeah. like? Um, well, he was a fan of the Passion of the Christ and and the Count of Monte Cristo, and um, I was, um, you know, it feels obviously a good. I'm, but I'm looking at the material and the script by Rob Barn, Alejandro Monteverde who's the director, who's just absolutely off the charts. And and you're looking at it. Did you look at it when it was with Disney? Actually, it was at Fox at the time. So then Disney bought out uh, Fox. And um, and at that point, then um, um, we um, you know, I looked at the material and everything. But I actually was... You know, I've adopted three of my children from China, and I was very aware of the dangers that go on with children all around the world. So I, when I read it, um, it really touched my heart, especially the part that um, when he said that God's children are not for sale, and then the other line was, well, when God tells you to do something, you don't hesitate. So tell everyone the story, Jim. Uh, Tim Ballard finds out about this child trafficking sure. and how. Well, he, he's a border agent, and he um, finds this little boy down, uh, takes down one of the worst uh, pedophiles and traffickers was Ertz Lipachinsky. And this little boy that he rescues, about five years old, says, will you save my sister? And um, he essentially um, goes down to Columbia, sells everything that he has, and goes and tries to find this little girl. And it's a simple story, but it's... Um, you know, it's it's a true act of, of huge faith and um, nothing short of the ultimate heroism. So did you see some of the news reports prior to getting to hearing to reading the script? Did you understand that this was no dramatization? This happened. Did you fully understand yeah. that? I understood that. But what I it, it's it's far worse. We can only show you and uh, and and take the Alfred Hitchcock. Cock, uh approach to filmmaking on this it takes you to the edge um and um it is um something that would be uh, disturbing but the love of tim and for these children comes through and really uh the power of it is, is that it, you know it begs to ask you are you willing to you know protect your own children are you 
Are you willing to suffer um, what you're going to have to suffer in order to save God's children? I mean, they're the most innocent of, of, of human beings. They're, they represent God on, unlike anything. And, and to think that this really goes on, and it's a $152 billion a year business, is just mind-boggling. Where, where is it the worst? Where was it the worst when I, I mean, was filming? No, is it Central and South America where it's the worst? Oh, oh God, it's all over. It's in the Philippines. It's, uh, um, I mean, Tim has done hits all over the place, um, and he's he he continues to. Um, they're building a a, a whole dip, uh, more of a crack team, uh, more of a, like a SEAL Team Six uh, group now, and. Um, but uh, when we were in Colombia, oh, that was really bad. And I'll explain it. When you're in Mexico, you'll have guys pushing stuff on you, drugs or whatnot, when, when we're filming. And they'll um, come over when we're down at the beach and they'll, you know, do you want cigarettes, cigars, whatever, drugs, cocaine, whatever you, whatever you want. Do you want uh, women, mujeres? And when we were down in, like, Cartagena, they'll say mujeres, but then they say, do you want niños, little boys, niñas, little girls, just right out in the open. So did you have this happen while you're filming this? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's unbelievable. Yeah, well, you you know, you're shooting, let's say, uh, uh, sometimes, sometimes we have to work on Saturdays or whatnot, but all we have security around us. Uh, There's a perimeter. And, you know, on an off day, I'm moving from one place to another. I'll have a security uh, crack team with me, but they, but you'll have guys walk right up to you and, and, um, and just, you know, right, right, right there on the street. Yeah. So, so Jim, when did you shoot this? Um, well, this was in, we were August, I was filming 18, so 2018 going into 19 so we 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 finished and then it was it was ready to be it was ready it was done about uh november 19 so it was um ready to be seen in 19 and then they you had the strike and or sorry the uh, uh covid and the whole thing so then there was some difficulties there but the um then obviously you showed to the studio and they didn't want it and then and you're thinking was, to yourself, was, so this is Disney ahead. turns it down. You're thinking to yourself, okay, is this project dead? Did you have hope? And then in comes Angel Productions. We knew we had something incredible, and the reaction was something you pray for uh, for any um, filmmaker. You know, you watch a movie like Frequency. Um, who's going to want to watch a movie like that? You know, father son talking over ham radio. So, but. This is the creative brilliance of a lot of people that come up with ideas. That was obviously a, a, a fictionalized story, but the, the love between a father and son was important. This one, obviously, is the relationship and the family between the, the wife and the husband and then the getting the charge to go down and trying to find the, the child and having the chemistry, which, you know, I played basketball for many years and having a team chemistry is really important. Um, and that then obviously is uh, shown on the on the screen. But when the reaction is that huge and for them to turn it down, is, it was puzzling. And we'd show it to other groups. We shoot, showed it to Netflix and the same thing uh, across the board. 
Why, why do you think they did turn it down? Why would people want to turn down a movie with such impact based in reality? Well, I have my feeling um, about what it really is going on in a lot of parts of the world. I think you have to look at Epstein Island. Um, I think that um, uh, when we showed this uh, in, in a screener uh, in um, Vegas, there were about 1,500 people there. We showed like five screenings. And during a part of the movie, they continued to talk. And afterwards, after these five screenings, I said, during this one part, you guys always talked. Why? What, what were you saying? And um, they all yelled out Epstein Island. And that's where you understand that Epstein Island isn't the only sex island out there. Unbelievable. Jim, you live your parts. You get into your parts. Uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to act, but I just know that you, this is no part-time yeah. thing for you. You get into this character. That that could yeah. be emotionally draining in a way that yeah. the audience can says, oh, my God, I'm exhausted after after watching this movie. What is it like living with this character and being Tim Ballard and, and the stress that you feel knowing that there are kids out there right now being tortured? Well, the, ultimately, any pain that you go through, which, uh, uh, you know, it took me two years to really come off this film it you it's a new reality uh it but i don't live with the torment of knowing about something and not doing anything about it i gave everything i had um i have three children and i wouldn't hesitate to um you know jump in the water to if they fell in a shark tank i would never i wouldn't even think about it um and uh, what I couldn't live with is the thought that I could have done something and I didn't. That scares me more than anything. And so um, I felt like that uh, this is awakening millions, if not billions of people, because this thing is going to be a lot bigger in Latin America. When my um, publicist told me that we did nearly $5 million on it, too cheap Tuesday night. I said, "You got to be kidding me! I don't think I've ever had a film do that much money uh, three weeks out from an opening of a film. It just continues to grow, um, and I'm happy that people are now seeing this this evil. And but I want them to know that when they're listening to this, that you know I've often quoted Reagan, and uh, and this is a time for choosing. We have to choose." good over evil we must but that evil is powerless if the good are unafraid so when you have rolling stone come out and says this is QAnon stuff uh this is much of it is funneling people into conspiracy rabbit holes and QAnon communities what is your reaction to that well number one we never knew what QAnon was when we watched uh when we were filming there's absolutely nothing i don't know what that was i when a friend called me, he said, "This is Q." I said, um, "And I said, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, what's wrong with the letter Q? I mean, they talk about the letter Q more than they talk about the KKK. That's another letter, by the way, Brian. I heard, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, Q is is a, um, from what I'm, what I know is a. They're against uh, pedophilia. They're against transgender. They're 
against uh, uh, the trafficking and, and seems that parts of the media are for it. And so who's evil? Um, so people have to really, you know, think about it. I'm, if I'm going to, you know, play a character in a movie, if, if I'm going to play, let's say, in Ray Fine's role in Schindler's List, I'm going to study the Nazis. That does not make me a Nazi. You know what I mean? I Absolutely. Mean, somebody's got to play the, the bad guy. So if Q Anon is evil, well, I'm going to investigate it. And, and I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to say, here's just like if traffickers are bad, wouldn't you want to figure out where traffickers hang out just in case uh, your children are present? I would want to know how they think and how they function that way. No predator is going to harm my child. So, I would say that the public should look into what is perceived to be wicked and find out for themselves. Um, but what I, what it's like is like the Wizard of Oz, where Toto runs over and pulls the green curtain, and and they're saying, "Pay nothing, no attention to what is going on behind that uh, green curtain." We have free speech. We should be able to investigate it and understand why this is. What, uh, if Q is evil or, or not. Um, and so, but when we were filming, we knew nothing about it. We were just trying to do a, a, an a film, a story that was inspiring, but had a lot of adventure in it, but uh, was um, incredibly uh, dangerous, but very informative to the public. You did a great job, as you always do. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and so, and the, and the people are coming out and you're on a mission through this time. Last question for you, uh, Jim Caviezel, how's yes. your basketball game? All right. Does he, are you still as passionate about the game as you ever were? <laughs> I love, I love the game. I, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good question. I, you know, I have a friend of mine, Jan Furch, who's, who's an incredible player out of Mon uh, Montana, lives in Spokane. And he's 54, and he, I think he still dunks the ball. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't do that. Uh, um, I think it, it's, uh, the game is only fun if you really, really work at it, and he's never stopped. Um, I kind of have right. uh, kind of watched my knees a bit. So if you're, Jim Caviezel was kind enough to be in the games to count with me when, he, when Frequency came out, we talked about basketball, how good your brother was, how much it meant to you and how much you, yeah. you learn from it to help you become this fantastic actor. Congratulations, Sound of Freedom. Go check it out. Uh, it's a real story with a great actor. Jim, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. You got Thank it. I hope to see you in person soon. Uh, when we come back, we wrap this hour up. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we are back, and I, I find it uh, just a fascinating look at why certain movies work and certain don't. This beat Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, this beat, uh, this will, of course, Oppenheimer is going to give it a, a run for his money. I understand they're not going to be able to promote it with these celebrities out there, but Sound of Freedom is, is not, people aren't going to it because of great promotion, they're going to it because they choose to. It's all word of mouth, and it's crazy because I had my family over on Sunday 
And this was the dominant talk about the movie, how exhausting it was. Everyone had a different take on the movie. So to me, it's pretty clear. You're not going to walk out and say, well, that was a waste of time. Because it was a great movie, well done, well acted, and it's really happened, and it hap- it's happening. What about how substantial it is, he said, Epstein Island? The rich, rich, that's where they were going. What were they doing? From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you on, a, on anything but a beautiful sunny day. Kind of gray as it been all week, but it's okay. We need some rain in this area. I'm at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, it does not stop the, stop the city from going on. There are so many people here. I'm not sure how many people are working, but there's a lot of people here. Uh, Matt Taibbi is going to be joining us uh, in a matter of minutes. But first, let's get to, we're following also at 1 o'clock, we're going to find out about this big hearing, another whistleblower coming forward about what's happened with the Hunter Biden investigation. We're going to be seeing the IRS investigator reveal himself uh, shortly. So we'll follow all that on what it could mean right now. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The press has deemed Jason Aldean's song dangerous irresponsible, and of course, racist. Aldean was forced to defend the song, but Aldean's explanation didn't matter. Country Music Television, CMT, announced it was pulling the music video from the airwaves. They canceled it. It's unbelievable, too. Jason Aldean canceled. They'll try, but they will fail. His song is now number one on iTunes, and it's about a small town and having their own law enforcement and using news footage to talk about how out of control our cities are. And they sing it in a country song. But they want to ban it now, and uh, the I guess the Country Music Awards are going to make it ineligible. Number two. We're going to have a very special hearing. You are going to see for the first time not the one IRS whistleblower, but both. These are individuals who have worked in here, not from a political basis, but are so upset about this system of justice not being equal for others. Hunter's corruption. We'll talk about it with the whistleblowers coming forward. Next week, Biden's business partner, Devin Archer, should be front and center, too. Number one. The only way he can get elected is to weaponize the Justice Department, which he's gone around doing. I didn't know practically what a subpoena was and grand juries and all of this. Now I'm like becoming an expert. I have no choice because we have to. It's a disgrace. Trump trouble multiplies as yet another indictment looms. What does it mean for the overall race? And the New Hampshire poll tightens for DeSantis. Let's bring in Matt Taibbi. He doesn't get into the horse race. Uh, he writes for Racket News. Matt, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. I mean, you've been a busy guy, kind of doing your own thing now. Yeah. What's it been like, before we get into the stories, what's it been like kind of being a free agent? Uh, it's great. It's great. I mean, it's it's nice to not have any pressure to look at any particular story and you know there's this is a great time to be a journalist unfortunately because there's so much going on right uh people just have to pay attention and realize you're a journalist uh, not a partisan first things first on what you've been working on uh with covid a top scientist misled congress about covid origins newly released emails told you what about this story matt so the the big takeaway is that the authors of um, a paper called The Proximal Origins of SARS-CoV-2, which was um, used by the media and by politicians for years to say that uh, COVID had natural origins, that there couldn't have been a lab leak, 
we we got the private communications of these people and they're saying things like the lab escape version of this is so friggin' likely <laughs> because they were already doing this work. We just have a pile of correspondence where they're all talking about the very likely possibility that this came from a lab and they covered it up. So last week, though, two of these scientists uh, to uh, work with Fauci testified that mm-hmm. it seemed to come from nature. But their communication has a different story. Right. And, and it has to be emphasized that neither uh, eventuality has been proven. Right. Like in order to prove that it came from nature, they would have had to have find the host. And to prove that it came from a lab, they would need all sorts of indications. But the thing is, the science Um, What they're talking about in these communications is that there are multiple scientific indications about the genetic sequence of this virus that they had very serious reservations about, and they hid that from the public and from Congress, I think. Uh, And does it astound you that they even talk about how to deceive you? Like, hey, we got to go to the Gmail and stop communicating on here? They talk about that. There, there's one sequence where they're getting questions from a New York Times reporter, Donald McNeil, and um, they're saying, you know, he's very serious and credible, but like any, any reporter, he can be misled. Um, you know, they essentially non-answer him in that, in that instance. Uh, there was a conscious strategy among not just these scientists, but, but some of the health officials to manage the story and to whittle out the possibility of lab escape, even though they all thought it was very possible. Because I would imagine if I could put two and two together, uh, American dollars were helping finance this type of research and they didn't want fingers pointing back to them as thousands were dying. Well, there were a couple of different factors that were clearly in play. One was they were concerned about the optics of blaming the Chinese government uh, for the outbreak, um, although they complained openly in their communications about the low, sa- the terrible safety procedures at, at the institute, saying it's crazy. Actually, the, the line was, it's nuts to gain a function research um, at that safety level. But they were also clearly concerned about links to um, American gain of function research that, um, you know, that and the scientists who had partnered with the, these scientists in Wuhan. Does it surprise you, Matt, that you have scientists being less than candid? I mean, you're not talking about people, the CIA agents. You're talking about scientists, guys in lab coats trying to uh, stop you would think the next disease or come up with the next vaccine. Where did this come? Where does this come from? Well, I mean, it, it's similar to what's going on in journalism. I think. I mean, I, I, good journalists shouldn't really care what the political impact of a story is. Like, they should be very focused on whether it's true or not. And good scientists can't care about the politics. Like, they have to only focus on what the scientific evidence was. And we see these scientists in real time in these conversations basically saying we can't entertain this because of the political consequences. There's even a line in there where they say, like, I hate it when when politics interferes with scientists, science, but in this case, it's unavoidable. Um, You can't do that. I mean, once you let politics and other considerations in, then no one's going to ever trust scientists again. So as as you went down with this Freedom Information Act, were able to get some of these text messages I'm a little astounded that you could see the doubts that they had, and yet they still testified a couple of weeks ago uh, something totally different. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable that 
you know, that they testified that the, the way they did, that they haven't had more open, um, you know, rethinking of the situation, especially since government agencies like the DOE and the FBI have made it okay publicly to talk about this. Uh, that's one thing that's astounding. But the other thing that's just amazing is the total lack of interest by by media. I mean, these people reported for years that it was a conspiracy theory to talk about this, and they cited these scientists when they did that, and now nothing. You know, it's just it's, it's very similar to the Russia story. It is very similar, and it's also the research you found when you were access to the Twitter files. You found the suppression in 2020 and. Uh, about what was going on in politics, but also what was going on with the pandemic. Right, exactly. You know, we we found all sorts of stuff about uh, voices who were being suppressed and discussions about suppressing true material um, that might promote vaccine hesitancy. I mean, again, these are all considerations that should have nothing to do with factual reporting. Um, they're political considerations, they're cultural considerations, social considerations. Uh, none of that is the purview of journalists or scientists. And, you know, they're, they're getting into that. And uh, it's amazing, you know, to see how politicized the, the media reaction to this has become. So, Matt, you uh, I don't know if you saw Christopher Ray last week, but one takeaway, and I'll paraphrase, was uh, the FBI was only there to stop foreign interference in our election and uh, uh, from people outside our borders. From what we know in the Twitter files, is Christopher Ray saying something that's correct? Uh, absolutely not. Um, one of the things that we found funniest, I mean, it, it's gallows humor, but it's funny, was that we would find spreadsheets that came from the Foreign Influence Task Force that would have over a thousand or two thousand names on it, and not one of them would be foreign. So um, they were very focused on actors who uh, came from the United States, especially around the 2020 election. The FITF almost exclusively focused on people within the United States. Um, so no, I don't think he was correct when he said that. And uh, a lot of the, the foreign threats, that the so-called threats that they were looking at were just people who supported certain politicians they didn't like, um, and those people got deleted just for that. And the FBI's role in that, how much were they spending for them to spend time moderating the, the Twitter? Was it $30 million? We don't, uh, I mean, I, I can't say exactly how much money it was. I mean, you know, when we looked at, for instance, the Election Integrity Partnership, we know one of the contractors received like $38 million from uh, the Department of Homeland Security. FBI had upwards of 80 people working on the Foreign Influence Task Force. But there were probably a dozen uh, federal agencies that were working on this so-called anti-disinformation work. So it's a lot of money. It's hundreds of millions of dollars for sure. So we have a a situation where I I really wish – the Republicans had called you or talked to you where you could say, Christopher Ray, that's absolutely not true. Either you're the king of England and no one tells you anything or you're you're telling you you're lying to us right now. Your guys in the last election were playing a huge role in information on vaccines, information on the spread of the disease, information as it relates to candidates. You can't say you were blocking the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians and the Russians. And they didn't seem to take into account. I would say Matt Gates had the most specific 
Matt Gates had the most specific question for Chris Ray. Right. Well, I mean, let me just let me just play this for you. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, director? I'm not going to get into commenting on that. You, you, you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not and has que- no well, interest on. in protecting You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev- to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you. And that was, uh, that was some of the exchanges in the WhatsApp on the laptop. Uh, between Hunter and a Chinese official energy company that we told the laptop was disinformation. That was part right. of what you and Michael Schellenberger and Barry Weiss unveiled, correct? Right. And and part of the um, justification uh, that the tech platforms used when suppressing that story was that it wasn't very important, that there was, there wasn't a whole lot in the story that um, was worth investigating, um, and, you know, and at the time, a lot of it was unproven or, you know, it wasn't verified yet, but it was certainly newsworthy and we're finding out now why. So while you're testifying a short time after adoring, you find out the IRS is knocking at your door at a time in which people called you a so-called journalist and this uh, representative of the Virgin Islands attacking your credibility, asking you how much you're getting paid to go out to the West Coast, give up your own time, and un you know and unveil to the American public what was really going on in 2020. What went on with the IRS? Are you okay now? Uh, as far as I know, you know they they told me that um, the matter had been settled. I guess at the end of March, but you know there's there's still some outstanding matters that have to be tied up. But the thing is, we still don't know exactly what precipitated that visit. Or why they opened the case on me in in late December. Um, it's all very mysterious, and one of the reasons I'm pushing it uh, is because, uh, unlike most Americans, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a position maybe to find out why they do these things. And um, you know, I, I, as you'll find out today, I think with the IRS whistleblower, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that agency that um, I think the public probably needs to know about. Right. We had a whistleblower coming up 90 minutes. Uh, he's going to be coming forward. He says he's a Democrat, gay, married to a guy, not typical Republican. So with no track record of being a whistleblower. Matt, uh, when when you look back now that the launch of threads is now out there, Facebook has never been transparent about what they did and didn't do. Uh, Twitter has because Elon Musk bought it. If threads gets big, it could neutralize any transparency that Twitter would bring to the table in 2024. Does that concern you as an American? Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned about the entire landscape. I mean, Twitter isn't without its flaws either. But um, Facebook, I mean, just look at the the story that we did yesterday shows that they took direction from the U.S. government uh, in basically censoring anybody who suggested that the virus might have been manipulated or man-made. And as again, as we see behind the scenes, government officials and these scientists 
thought that that was true. So there's two sets of rules. There's one set of rules for people who, um, you know, sort of are at the top, and then Facebook can impose a whole different set of rules. I, I think that's terrifying um, and totally in violation of the spirit of the free for the First Amendment. Does it worry you when the IRS knocks at your door, or does that, does that uh, fuel you? I mean, I'm not so worried for myself. I, mean, I obviously have to take it into consideration. I have kids. I can't, you know, not worry about it at all. But I think the the main thing that's worrying is that it's it's a message sent to other types of uh, investigative reporters, maybe younger ones who aren't as secure in their careers. You know, well, do I really need this kind of hassle? Do I need to get in trouble? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it may not be worth it, right? And But we need people to do that kind of work, and that's the problem. And that's why we always need you. Matt, thanks so much. Go uh, pick up uh, Racket News, uh, and you'll find out all this stuff. Matt stays his head of the curve. Matt, thank you. Thanks so much, Brian. Right, don't it. answer the door. It might be the IRS. Just just tell them you're not home. Yeah, no ring doorbell. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, and then, well, actually, I'll, I'll be having time to really open this up. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. Uh, I went a little long with Matt Taibbi, but everything he says is explosive and interesting. He's one of these guys that I be you'd be crazy not to follow at Racket, not News. You know, I know he's on. He was on Substack. I'm not sure he's doing that now. Is that a subsidy of Substack? But when Matt does stuff, he has no agenda except just to get out the truth. And as he said. He worries that there's other young reporters, 26 years old, don't really have much in the bank. And next thing you know, the IRS is investigating you and people are telling you to back off this. And certain jobs are saying, I can't have you on because you're covering this story. And, you know, we got somebody who's an investor in that business and people might decide they don't want to do that. You know, keep it safe. That Anthony Fauci feature. Let's go pump that out. You know, Joe Biden loves dogs. Let's go do a feature on that. That'll get me known, get me a job. And get people to trust me. Listen, uh, when we come back, go to BrianKillMe.com, put your comments and questions. Also, you can write me, uh, you could be on the air at 1 866 408 7669. Busy day, so glad you're here. That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you were a tool or an object to help you uh, in your uh, to help you to bring your business to greater heights, what would it be? I have one tool that's pretty much used in almost every job, and it's actually a cabinet maker's hammer. Oh, okay. Kevin needs make a hammer. Okay. It is persuasive enough (laughs) when I need to persuade something. Not someone. Something. (laughs) So a lot of fun. That's when we didn't know that uh, that interviewer was talking to would possibly could be a serial killer. uh, Rex Uerman. 
Joining us now is Rodney Harrison, Suffolk County, New York Police Commissioner, uh, uh, also a former NYPD chief of detectives. Uh, met him when he was in New York City, and we had a chance to speak on on set on Fox and Friends earlier in the week. Commissioner, welcome back. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Hey, Commissioner, you're getting more and more people who are saying it was your initiative that got this case going again simply because you discovered, and you tell me if this is correct, that Nassau, Suffolk, and State and FBI were, were at odds, loggerheads over this. They were not working together when you walked into this job. You know, Brian, I don't want to uh, go so backwards with what happened. I think it's important that we talk about the positives and how we were able to uh, get this uh, monster off the streets. Uh, the one thing that I will share with you is uh, I was a little unhappy that we only had one person assigned to this investigation, and I thought it was important And in, in, uh, in order for this case to go forward. We need to put more eyes as well as other law enforcement agencies uh, coming together to uh, really hone down on the case and make sure we look at every single investigative step, uh, speak to every single prisoner, uh, listen to every single phone uh, jail call record, and a host of other things that we can do to try to track down who our subject was. And uh, it was a good team effort. You, you, you know, Brian, you're not going to hear me pound my chest. Uh, I'm just so proud to uh, be part of this uh, great work and uh, get this person off the street, uh, yeah. Rex Hurman. You got one of these pimps who did an interview and said, you know, I told these guys 10 years ago when one of these uh, uh, one of these women went missing that this guy's a mountain of a man. Uh, he was driving a, an avalanche, and no one listened to me. No one followed up with it. Well, it turns out he is a mountain of a man, and it was a, an avalanche uh, that he was driving. And you were not doing the job at the time, but is that a fair criticism? You know, listen, there could be a lot of criticisms. Anytime somebody uh, is investigating a homicide, everybody could play Monday morning quarterback. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and uh, second-guess why certain investigative steps weren't done, but I will say this, Brian. There was an investigator from the state police that put uh, – the uh, pieces of the puzzle together to identify the avalanche to uh, Mr. Hurman, uh, and that was the, the, the reason for uh, a task force being put together. You know, uh, if you, as long as you put everybody in the same room, people are dedicated not doing other assignments and investigations, and everybody's looking and, and has the same synergy to see what we could do to get closer to a subject, you're going to have success, and that's what happened. Commissioner, I talked to you, and you, I said, hey, there's 92 guns found in the house. You go, no. How about over 200? 200 guns in somebody's house with, we could tell that the women who we mow might be somehow victims of his. We know three for sure. Four, you're getting close. You're getting close to 11. They're all suffocated. What could you tell us about the weaponry you pulled out of that house? Well, the first thing I'm going to share with you, Ryan, is it's, it's alarming that somebody has that many uh, firearms. What's the need for it? Uh, uh, that, that 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 type of arsenal. Uh, but you know, I, the, I I don't believe that. Uh, actually, let me. I was going to say that I don't believe that the guns had a had a role in the death of of our sex workers. Uh, did he use any of the firearms to threaten them and maybe? Uh, uh, hold them in some type of hostage situation. I don't know. Uh, time will tell. 
but uh, yeah, when you see all the guns that were pulled out of that out of that residence, uh, it, it is concerning. But that amount of guns being in the, in the hands of a maniac is the scary part, sir. Is that uh, why? Is that why you arrested him outside the house? No, well, we arrested him outside of his uh, workplace. You know, uh, we wanted to strategically do it to a, at, a, at a location where uh, we could get him inside of a, of a van and transport him back to our headquarters and uh, allow him an opportunity to talk. Uh, we read him his Miranda. He asked for a lawyer right away. And, um, you know, and we're, we're here now um, uh, waiting for the judicial process to, to start going forward. Was one of the questions really, is this going to be on the news to one of your guys, one of your people? You know, I uh, I didn't hear that. Uh, I'll circle back with my uh, homicide uh, lieutenant, Kevin Byra, that did a phenomenal job that oversaw the task force uh, regarding certain statements that he made. I really didn't get caught up so much in uh, the whole conversation in the travels from uh, 35th and 5th to 30 Yapank, which is easily about an hour and a half ride back. But uh, uh, I will say this, he was very somber uh, during his travels, uh, didn't say too much, uh, which I thought was somewhat interesting once he was informed that uh, he's being placed under arrest for the, the murders uh, over in Gilgo Beach. So he didn't, I heard he was, so in other words, he didn't talk. He hasn't confessed to anything? He did not, sir. Um, and is, are, is someone with him around the clock? I heard he's on suicide watch. Yeah, I, I know uh, Earl Toulon, uh Jr., who was our sheriff, uh, made sure that uh, there's a constant watch on him. Uh, the last thing we, we want this individual to do is to escape uh, justice, and we want to make sure he's held accountable and make sure he never sees the light of day. And uh, allowing him a chance to... Uh, uh, take his own life would be uh, would be a travesty. So we want to make sure he's prosecuted appropriately. I understand that he had burner phones. Did you recover any of those burner phones? And did you recover? I understand there's is a report that he kept the phones of his victims. Is that true? You know, there's a lot of things that have been recovered, uh, Brian. Unfortunately, uh, I, I can't uh, be so forthcoming regarding what was uh, retrieved. Could you say I'm wrong? Let's try this again. I can't talk about things that were retrieved from his residence or the storage facility or his workplace. Uh, I, I will say this. There are some things that are going to be instrumental in uh, the uh, prosecution part of this case. So have you seen him? Have you talked to him? I have not. Will you? Absolutely not. Um, why? Not my job. So you want the investigator? Is investigators continuing to try to pry him from information? Is that the tactics you're using? Absolutely not, because uh, since he uh, now has a lawyer assigned to him, uh, we're not allowed to talk to him unless uh, we are working through his lawyer, and we'll, we'll see where, where that takes us. I'm sure you heard about the report in the New York Post was on TikTok, um, and now every, everywhere. This woman was approached around Brady Park, and it ends up being the same guy, she believes, that was approaching her, asking her about this. You have a boyfriend, and asked, uh, commenting on her looks, and she freaked out because it seems to be the same guy. Uh, could you verify that story or any other story that prompted you guys to act the way when you acted? So those stories came in uh, afterwards. Um, but I, I will say this. Uh, if anybody does have information about any engagement or knowledge of violent acts by Rex Herman, uh please give our, our Crime Stoppers hotline, 1-800-220-TIPS. 
Uh, we're following those leads. This is something that's very, very important to us. This can help ha connect him, not just uh, strengthen the case of uh, the three sex workers that we have, but anything else that he might have been involved in, uh, not just in the state of New York, but maybe somewhere else around the country. Commissioner Rodney Harrison, our guest, Suffolk County uh, Police Commissioner, uh, who reinvigorated this investigation that yielded what we think is a, a serial killer, where they've already pinned uh, three murders to him, and it looks like a fourth is imminent. Um, and there could be as many as uh, 11, and some say even more. There was a report today uh, from one of the lawyers of one of the victims' families says that it looks like there could have been a female accomplice uh, because there was a female voice that was involved in a threatening phone call to one of the victims' homes. Um, I know it's easy for you to say I can't comment, but I'm just wondering if you could say that that lawyer was wrong. You know, this is the first I'm hearing about the, the female in the, in the background. I'll uh, take a closer look at that. Uh, of course, there's going to be a lot of different uh, stories that are going to come our way that we have to uh, visit and see the accuracies of it. Uh, but as, a, as of right now, uh, I don't have any information regarding any females uh, being accomplice or, or assisting him in uh, the killings of, of these of, of these sex workers. What, what, what are some of your biggest questions that still remain? Uh, simple. Uh, uh, how many others are out there that have been victimized by this individual? You know, uh, is he connected to other deaths um, in Suffolk County, Nassau County, or anywhere else in, in the state? Uh, so I, I do have some concerns. And, you know, listen, uh, these acts of violence, these murders occurred uh, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, listen, did he stop killing uh, after that? Are there other bodies buried elsewhere? So once again, is, um, uh, I said this before, Brian, I shared this with you on your show. Uh, this task force will stay intact. We'll continue to uh, have... Uh, my partner, uh, Ray Turney, prepared to prosecute this individual, but it doesn't mean that we're not looking at and seeing if he's attached to other murders uh, throughout the uh, throughout the state. Commissioner, and, uh, that, that's what we do as as, uh, right. as as investigators. Commissioner, what can you tell me about the cooperation of his family? I know he has one son with special needs. He's got a daughter and his wife. What could you tell me about the the cooperation of the family? Uh, well, they haven't uh, put, up, put up too much resistance. Uh, I will share that. Uh, unfortunately, when we provided them with the news, uh, there was a level, and, and, and rightfully so, a level of disappointment, shock, uh, embarrassment. Uh, so uh, right now, I, I will say this, that uh, um, uh, they're giving us access to anything that we need. Um, there's no level of protest of anything. And uh, we'll continue to work with them uh, going forward. Can you rule out the wife as an accomplice? Absolutely not. Uh, so I guess they're lawyered up, too, then? Uh, they are. Okay. Um, so you're just going to follow to see how you can get. Is there any incentives you could provide to get him to talk? You know, uh, working with his uh, lawyer, um, seeing if he's uh, willing to talk. Uh, working uh, through Ray Turney, and I'm sure he could probably provide a little bit more insight regarding uh, that prosecutional part of right. uh, seeing if we could get him to engage and tell us if there's other bodies and, you know, is that something that can, uh, of course, help out potential uh, uh, 
jail time for him down the road, even though he's never going to see the daylight uh, uh, daylight again. Uh, so there's there's some things that could be worked out with his lawyer, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, we we still need to see if we can engage him to find out if there's been any other murders that he's been uh, been a part of. When do you think that block will get back to normal? I mean, the people on that block, I live very close to there, are saying they you know they can't even get out of their house between the news reporters and the investigators and and everything going on there. When do you think that that you know obviously they have nothing to do with this. So when do you think they could that could be just a block on a sub, uh, in the suburbs of uh, of New York? Well, I, I will say this: uh, this is going to be a very methodical process. Uh, we have to make sure we go through every bit of of property and evidence that's inside of that location. Uh, I will say this: the the have been patient. Uh, there has been a level of understanding. Uh, but, of course, there's going to be some f- frustration from some of the neighbors. Uh, but I, I do believe, and I know Massapequa Park pretty well, um, they're very pro-police over there. They're going to uh, have to understand that we have a job we have to do to make sure uh, we put this person away uh, for a very long time. Are you allowing the rest of his family to live there? No. They're staying, uh, I believe, at a family member's residence. Okay. Did you pull out a grenade? Uh, I'm sorry, what? Did you pull out a grenade? Did you guys pull out a grenade? I, I did not hear that, but if there was, I couldn't share that with you, sir. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's tough to know. Uh, all right, Commissioner, anything for the audience to know? The question I haven't asked you yet that's an important part of this investigation. No, listen, I, I'll say it again. If anybody has information, call our Crime Stoppers hotline. Uh, we need uh, the community's help. All Crime Stopper tips are being investigated if we believe it has a nexus or a connection to uh, anything with Rex Heuerman. Uh, so I just welcome people to give that, that hotline a call. Yep. Uh, Commissioner, you don't want to take credit, but a lot of people are giving you credit for reinvigorating this, getting a fresh look and getting uh, different departments to work together, which it doesn't have, it's not easy. Uh, that's because of the respect that you have amongst the people you work with. Commissioner Rodney Harrison, thanks so much. Brian, thanks for the kind words. Appreciate you got it. it. Uh, you got it. We're going to come back uh, with more in just a moment. Uh, that was the latest on the Gilgo uh, murder investigation. Three have been uh, have been tagged to Rex Uerman. We'll see if many more. My hunch is we're going to be talking about this for a while because more and more clues are going to lead right back to this monster. Don't move. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, it's just pretty amazing that the serial killer was found. There's so much to know. But when you talk about an active investigation with things going on, it's pretty amazing because you have so many reporters doing some original reporting, a lot of times it'll lose the investigators. So I think some of the stuff they don't want to tell us, when it, and of course I'm referring to Rodney Harris in the interview with the commissioner, uh, because he can't. And I think the other stuff is, I think in many ways, sometimes the media can lead on things like this. Uh, and to see what goes on because you have all these victims, ten, uh, seven or eight more minimum, and then they have attorneys and they do their own personal investigation and then everyone's got their own contacts, let alone people in the neighborhood. And you could see how something like this, you can go wild, unsubstantiated rumors, 
or you could actually do some original reporting. Obviously, the easiest thing would be to take somebody who's not necessarily a hardened criminal but an evil monster and say he's behind bars for the first time and maybe you get them to talk. That would be the one thing that would be the leverage over them. So listen, the other big thing that's going to be happening today, Alpha, along with the the ongoing investigation on Gilgo, is what's going to go on at 1 o'clock. I think it should just go out of our way to make it clear that this this IRS investigator, IRS, you don't know it's political, correct? So maybe some of the people that are assigned to the IRS to head the IRS, they're political appointments. I get it. But when you have an IRS investigator who's been doing this for 13 years, Gary Shapley's been doing it, I think, for close to 20 years, and is so upset they'll put their career on the line to come forward and now speak out against a sitting president while who's from a party in which you support. And if it is true that he's a Democrat, he most likely, 99.9%, voted for Joe Biden and comes out and says, there's millions of dollars here unaccounted for. This investigation was stopped early. The FBI uh, was tipping off Hunter Biden when we were going to do investigations. They were told by the Department of Justice not to go into certain areas, not to look into anything to do with the vice president. Those stories come out today. Jamie Raskin could say whatever he wants about disgruntled investigators. But you also have FBI agents who are also in some of those meetings with David Weiss and knows exactly what he said. And they told me, Jim Jordan says today, we're talking to Weiss's people about getting him in. So hit play recorder on your VCR. This is going to be big. Brian Kilmeade Show. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.